undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As Josh has said, I am Ransom Kent. I'm the pastor at Grace. Um, to know a little bit about Grace, I won't go too much into this. Uh, ten years ago, so the end of January, we celebrated ten years of worship. We were planted by First Pres downtown. Uh, I'm the second pastor there, so I've been there about four years now, or in my fourth year now. Uh, Julie, my wife, we've been married about 15 years. She really wanted to come this morning, but our two oldest boys started communicants class this morning. We really didn't want them to miss that opportunity. So uh, I have Deacon, who is 10, Silas, who is 8, and Acadia, who is 6 years old. And so uh, on a personal note, we've known Josh and Amanda probably longer than most people in South Carolina. So um, I had been hired at Grace, uh, and we were going to move January 1st-ish of 2019. Well, we came in November with the kids to visit so they could get acquainted. And so we came to church that Sunday, and there standing in the pulpit was the clone of Charles Spurgeon, and I was, I was freaked out. I thought, man, if this church can clone Charles Spurgeon, maybe I shouldn't even take this job. And then it ended up being Josh, so I was like, okay, yeah, great, no, I'll take the job. Um, and then that same day, because we're, we're moving our family with young kids in the middle of a school year, we found out that Amanda was going to be Deacon's first grade teacher. So the Lord has really smiled on us, the Kents through the Smiths. And we just are, I'm thankful to be here this morning at Josh's invitation. Enough of the sappy stuff. Let's talk about Peter, the Apostle Peter. Let's start there. Um, now, as you see in the bulletin, we're talking about pain today. I had forgotten that Josh had been preaching in Ecclesiastes. So we're going to lighten up a little bit and talk about pain, all right? Um, to give you a quick context, when you're doing like a one-off like this, you want to make sure that you have a good understanding of what's happening in the scripture passage. And of course, as good reformed interpreters, you want to know context. And I think certainly it's important to know when he wrote it, who he wrote it to, but I think it's also good just to remember who Peter was or who he is. Uh, Peter was an apostle. He knew Jesus personally. He knew Jesus personally. And if you've read the New Testament, you know that Peter had a strong personality. Peter oftentimes would correct Jesus, and that always went smashingly for him. Um, to the point where he, he had this strong personality, and it, to the point where he actually was kind of afraid of what other people thought. You can see this in a couple different places. One, when he denied Christ. Okay, he denied Christ to, to the face of somebody. I know you. You know Jesus. Oh, no, I don't know Jesus. Jesus who? And then again, later, when Paul confronts him, he denies all the Gentiles because he's afraid of what his Jewish brothers will think. So there's, there's all kinds of brokenness here with Peter, all kinds of experiences where his strong, even sinful personality are on display. But Peter is a guy who knew Jesus, was taught by Jesus, had encountered Jesus. So the context that we can get, that we're reading this passage from, is this uh, restored brokenness. Restored brokenness. Peter's life is this kind of beautiful, blundering tale. I like it because it reminds me of myself. He, 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 there's no, uh, no thinking that Peter was better than he was. 
His warts are on display, but also the glory and the grace of Jesus and his life is on display. So as he's writing this letter to non-Jewish Christians, they're discouraged by persecution. Peter's writing from a heart, from a, a, a perspective that understands pain, that understands failure, but also understands the deep gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we look at the purpose of pain, that's the context that we're going to bring, uh, that we're going to be learning from in this passage. We're going to be reading and learning from an attitude of restoration that only comes from an encounter with Jesus Christ. So we have Peter, this regular guy, regular problems. He encountered Jesus. It changed him forever. So as we look at this passage, describe the realities of the Christian life, my hope is that we're going to see what creates our own restored brokenness. What creates our own restored brokenness? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump straight into pain, all right? We're going to bring the pain. Why don't I think about that first? I'm going to bring the pain. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you for a Bible that is rife with, full of people who were not anywhere near perfect. We're not to look to Peter as a moral example. We're to look to Peter as someone who failed and failed and failed, and your grace was good and better and best. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that as we look at pain, we'd have some courage to look at our own pain, that we'd have courage to look at the promises of God and we would see the result of that in our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the way I'm going to structure this sermon, we're going to actually start in the middle. We're going to start in verse 6, uh, and then we're going to go back to 3 through 5, and we'll finish on verse 7. I hope that doesn't freak anybody out, but that's what we're going to do. Okay, so verse 6, we see here in verse 6, it says this, in this you rejoice. So there's something that's happened before verse 6 that we should rejoice in, but I think it's helpful if we actually start on the, the negative end of things. We're going, to talk, we're going to start with pain, the reality of pain. And so Peter in verse 6 is very real about what pain is. So he says this, if you go about, uh, let me just read verse 6 to you again, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Let's start with that phrase, you have been grieved. This statement should be, in some sense, a relief to all of us. Because Peter is normalizing pain. He's normalizing pain. He's recognizing the existence of pain. You have been grieved by various trials one thing that is true about Christianity, that is unique about Christianity, is that Christianity is a religion that accepts reality, okay? We don't deny reality. Scripture teaches us that God not only understands and sees pain, he actually wades into pain with us. God wades into pain with us. Uh, it actually blew my mind a little bit. Back in 2013, which then I realized, oh my goodness, that's almost 10 years ago, I went with a group from my last church to Myanmar to do a short mission there, and on our way home, we had a little over a day in Thailand as a layover, and I'm a religion nerd, so I wanted to go see some temples, okay? 
And so I went to some temples, and there was this one particular temple uh, you walk into. It was not very big. It's probably as big from the stage to the front pew, but it was a circular room with a a kind of a cone-shaped roof. And the walls all around the circular room were painted with the most graphic, awful uh, things that humans can do to each other. So if you can imagine humans doing something bad to each other, that's what you, as you did the circle around, that's what you saw. All this awfulness, all this evil. But then if you looked at the ceiling, above the ceiling, on the base of the ceiling was all these clouds, and above the clouds were all these um, gurus meditating, floating above the suffering. Here's what that means. Here's what the, the Eastern religion teaches. If you just ignore pain, you can rise above it. That's not real. That's not real. That's not how it works. Think about, too, ancient religions Zeus became flesh, but Zeus would become flesh. Why? To have fun, (laughs) to deny pain, to enjoy himself. Our God, God the Son, became flesh to suffer with us, to suffer with us. So Christianity, Peter, understands that pain is real. I hope that's a relief to some of you this morning. Pain's real. You, plural, in this passage, you have real pain in your lives, and it's okay to be grieved by it, distressed by it. I think as we keep picking at verse 6, we get more comfort. So not only pain hurts, you're not crazy, but trials are various. It says you've been grieved by various trials. Church, listen this morning. Pain comes in all shapes and sizes. Pain comes in all shapes and sizes. Um, I was studying this passage, we just finished Esther at Grace, and I, this was a passage that kind of got pulled into the end of that series, and um, one of the things that dawned on me uh, in this time, I, it was in the context of pastoral counseling, hearing people's pain, um, comparison, hold with me here, comparison is not a helpful part of the Christian life. Let me give you an example. Think about moral comparison. Well, at least I don't do that, right? Who did that? The Pharisees did that, and it was condemned. Well, at least I'm not like that guy. What is that? That is pride. So if we compare ourselves to others morally and we're higher than them, we feel good about ourselves. But if if we compare ourselves and we're lower, man, I just it's so much shame in my life. Comparison in that way, it's not helpful to the Christian life. All it does is point to other people, not to Jesus. And I think there's a lesser version, lesser understood version of comparison that we have to be careful of. And I think we compare pain. I think we compare pain. Comparing of pain, I'll say this declaratively, it's always an act of distrust. Let me give you an example. Let me explain what I mean. Many, many people, as pastors counsel them or as you talk to them, and they're talking about a painful situation in their life, how many times have you heard someone say, well, you know, at least I'm not in this scenario, and they're pointing to somebody who's in a really bad, painful situation, that may seem innocent, and it may even seem like a good, like humble thing to do, but let me tell you something. That is an act of self-reliance. That, that, that statement of, well, at least I'm not in a situation so painful that I actually need God. You see, you see how that works? When you say, my pain isn't so bad that I need something, you're saying, I am good as I am. This pain does not require a Savior. And then we get to the other spectrum. We all know about this one, the pity party. 
that your pain is so bad compared to everyone else's that you demand everyone around you meet your needs. That too is an act of self-reliance. You're not looking to God. Comparing is not helpful in our Christian walk. And so as we talk about pain, what is a healthy way to deal with it, especially in God's church? First and foremost, we should, be, we should talk about our pain in an honest way. If it hurts, guess what? It hurts, and it's okay that it hurts. It's okay that it hurts. It's okay that your kid disobeying hurts. It's also okay that cancer hurts. You don't have to compare the two. We should talk about pain in an honest way. We should hear about pain in an understanding way. This is like a mini-sermon, by the way. I could have just done this. Um, three points to this pain verse. Uh, we should hear and understand why. Because we all know what pain feels like. And thirdly, we should care for one another in one another's pain because we know pain and God cares for us in our pain. And so uh, just a moment here. Just verse 6. Peter we're not even done with it. He has said, pain is normal, and pain is various. You experience it in different ways. It's real. It comes in all shapes and sizes. And so that's comforting. The next piece, not so much. He says this, though now for a little while, if necessary. In English, it sounds like maybe pain is an optional thing, but what that phrase means is unavoidable. Pain is pervasive. The common human experience is suffering. Suffering. That's why religion exists, to deal with suffering. And every religion deals with it in a different way. Christianity says God entered into it and defeated it. So the common human experience, yes, pain is real, various, it comes in various shapes and sizes, but here's the deal. Pain in our lives has a past, present, and future aspect. Either you've had it already, <laughs> you're having it now, or guess what? It's coming down the pike, and maybe all three are true. Let's pray. Just kidding. No, that's not the end, all right? If the sermon ended there, it would be pain, pain, pain. Now, that's the life without Jesus Christ. Pain, pain, pain. But remember, verse 6 started with, in this you rejoice. So let's go to verses 3 through 5 and see what we rejoice in. In this you rejoice. You know what, actually, let me, before we go there, let's pause. Why do we want to talk about pain at all? Why should we talk about pain at all? I think sometimes Christianity, specifically Reformed Christianity, is given a little bit of a reputation of talking about negative things. Why are you so negative? Listen, pain and brokenness, pain and brokenness are an important part of the Christian walk. And I'm going to go to Paul, not Peter, Paul, and 2 Corinthians. Think about this. Paul is serving the Lord. He's doing the Lord's will. He's ministering to the Gentiles. And somewhere along the line, something happened to him, and it was very painful. He calls it a thorn in his side. And it says in 2 Corinthians 12, he prayed three times to have the Lord remove it. And here's the answer that we get from God to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul continues, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, content with them. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. So this is why we talk about pain. This is why we started in verse 6, because pain breaks us. Pain reminds us of our weaknesses. Pain reminds us of our deep, deep need. Now, God's not sadistic. He's not a sicko. He has work to do, and the context of his glorious work is our pain. Now we're going to verses 3 through 5. God's work is the reason for our rejoicing in pain. Let's start at the beginning of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The first reason we should rejoice in pain is God has caused us, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. As we just saw, and it's reason it's funny to say, let's pray after the pain part of the, the passage, there is no hope in pain. There is no hope in pain. In fact, a life that is like ours, that is so pockmarked with pain, we're left wanting something else. Everybody's looking for something else to escape what? Pain. And here's the good news for Christians. Here's the unique part of Christianity. God provides it. God does the work. God does the work. I was thinking about this. Imagine if God was this. Hey, I'm looking for hope. And he says, listen, I want you to pull out of here at King's Church. Take a left. You're going to go down like six miles. There's a Shoney's. Take a right. Hope's down that way. You'll find it. God doesn't, do, he doesn't even give us directions. He doesn't even point us to it. He gets in the car with us and he drives with us. And more than that, what does it say? He has recreated us in hope. We're, we're born, recreated in a living hope. Well, how did he do that? I'm glad you asked. We're going to keep reading. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Something that's happened already. Let's think about what we believe about Jesus. Let's think about what we are taught about Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. God the Son came and became a human. Now, thinking about what we just described about pain... Thinking about the context of pain, the perspective of God coming down, not just to observe, not just to teach, but to experience humanity, that's a whole new, that's a whole new perspective on what God did in the incarnation. This is not Zeus coming down to have fun. This is God coming to dive in headfirst with us. It was a commitment to suffer with and for us. And then we know that Jesus died on the cross. We deserved it. He took it. Death by Roman torture, awfulness. And thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Jesus conquered death. Death could not hold him down. Pain could not keep him back. Sin could not extinguish his love. Satan could not thwart God's plan. That's the work of God on our behalf. He did it. Ephesians 2 begins with all these things. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. You, you once walked like the world walks. And then verse 4 happens. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That is our living hope church. That's it. God did it. And so as we live 
We have a past, we have a present, we have a future. In the past, guess what? We have the promises of God, and we have the guarantee of those promises, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's Easter. That's coming soon. Easter is a guarantee on the promises of God. So our hope is in our past. Our hope is now. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the promise of sanctification. Sanctification is the, the convincing of our sinful human hearts that we need Jesus more and more and more and more. That happens now. That's our living hope. And our living hope is also in the future. Look at verses 4 and 5. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All those things that God has done, he doesn't leave to chance. Well, let's see what you do with it. Humans, we would mess it up. God guarantees it for us. That's our living hope, past, present, future. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So what we have here in this passage is we have, and we've got to hold these two things next to each other. We have the awful realness of pain. It's real for you, everybody. It's real. And it's okay that it's real, and it's okay that it hurts. It, Pain is real, but on the other hand, we don't just have pain, we have that as the backdrop for all of God's work on our behalf. And the two things together are what we call the gospel. That's the gospel. And they're both true. And I love it as a pastor when the outcome or the application is given to us in the passage of scriptures. We're going to go to verse 7 for the end here. What is the outcome of holding these two things, the reality of these two things, our pain that's true and various, and the fact that God works in our pain all the way to save us? Here's the outcome, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of our faith, your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found. I'm going to stop there. So as we live this life of pain and we see God working, and God is actually working, and God uh, accomplishes his plan, the preciousness of our faith increases. Why? How? So, as we experience pain, as comfort goes away, as ease that we wanted goes away, as the quality of life that we always wanted decreases, as our bodies shut down, the promises of God remain secure. The work of Christ remains secure. The inheritance held for us by the power of God remains secure. Those things cannot be taken away. In fact, they can't even be thrown away. In our moments of frustration, God, rah, you can't. His promises are for you. He did them for you. They're accomplished by the cross of Christ. So God's promises, his work, this inheritance, they're ever at our heels, ever at our horizon, and ever with us now. That's how faith becomes precious through pain. But that's not all. This faith that increases in preciousness, 
results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So yes, our faith becomes more precious to us in pain, but also the praise of God increases in pain. That can be a hard truth, that in our pain, God gets more glory. But life ticks on, pain trickles in, that's how life is patterned. Our bodies shut down. I just turned 40 three weeks ago. Some of you are thinking, oh, you're a spring chicken. But let me tell you, when you turn 40, you start thinking, I'm halfway to 80. And you realize, my goodness, I can't, my hair's not all there anymore, right? You got more hair than anybody, Josh, so. Um, You don't understand my pain. Comparing, no, that's bad. Um, Our minds slow down. I met with a, a, a person from my church last week that had a medical condition that caused him to become confused, and he's not snapped out of it. And, and so his, his mind isn't as sharp as it used to be. Imagine that pain of not understanding things the way you used to. The years wind down, but in all of those things, what is Christ doing? He's building his kingdom up in the world and in our hearts. So although our life ticks down, God is working up to his praise and his glory. This morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I have a message for you, and it involves some bad news and it involves some good news, so stick with me. The bad news is life doesn't get better. That's the truth. Life doesn't get better. I think sometimes as Christians, we even believe that. Oh, man, if I just work hard and I just do this and I just do that, everything's going to work out okay. Life doesn't get better. It goes down. Life goes down. The good news is that we're not left in that hopeless place because that's hopeless. It's pain, pain, pain. And it's disappointment and it's unmet expectations. It's all those things. The good news is that Jesus Christ is and is the only renewing power in this world. Jesus Christ. There's nothing else. And guess what? He's accessible. You don't have to be a guru in Thailand. You have to be the perfect person. He came for sinners. He died for sinners. He rose again for sinners. He rose again for people that need him. And so I would call to you and ask you this morning, come to Christ. Put your hope in him. For those of you that are Christians, I I hinted at the beginning uh, like kind of this path to a restored brokenness, and it was a little tricky, because I want you to understand this, restored brokenness is not a destination. We're not waiting for Christianity 2.0. Restored brokenness is actually the process we just observed. That's what it is. It's holding in concert the reality of our pain and our sin. It's real, and it's serious, And then holding on this side too, the lavished gospel of God that's poured over us without end. And dealing with those two things as we live our life is the path of restored brokenness. We're not waiting for it. It's happening to us now. And as we live this life, pain drives us to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, what is he? He's our salvation. He's our hope. He's our strength. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that as we approach the table here in just a moment that you would help us through the bread 
and the juice of the wine, whatever it is. Help us to hold together this idea of pain and sin, they're real. Your broken body, your shed blood, they're evidence of the pain that our sin causes. The pain that we experience was all caused by sin, whether the original or our own or others. But we don't just wallow in pain. We have the broken body, the shed blood, to remind us that the grave is empty. Death, Satan, sin have been defeated by Jesus. Past tense. And so I pray this morning as we approach the table that it would be a moment of nourishing us with that living hope that we have been recreated into by the work of God, by no work of our own, by the work of God. I also pray this morning, Lord, that those of us who are in some kind of painful situation, that we would recognize its reality, recognize that pain is pain, and that all pain drives us to Jesus. May we not excuse it or diminish it or explode it. May we not make it more than it is. May we just look to Jesus. I pray these things in the name of that same Jesus. Amen.